Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Meh, I'm doing okay. From time to time when I sit down to record one of these intro bits, I panic for a second and think, what if I don't have anything to say? Then I remember, I've done 160 some odd of these now, and I've never had anything to say. Last week, I literally talked about cow farts for two minutes. And that was one of the better ones. So, rest assured, my bullshit is a renewable resource. Anyway, you know how Hellman's mayonnaise is called Best Foods West of the Rockies? I always thought that was kind of weird and arbitrary, but... Do you think that when they decided to take their mayonnaise company nationwide, somebody on the board was like, look, this has always bothered me, but Hellman sounds like it's a bad translation of the devil, and I'm worried that people will think that Satan is trying to sell them mayonnaise. Conversely, I suppose it's possible that Hellman is in fact the devil, and that when Hellboy grows up and becomes the new Hellman, he'll have to take over his dad's mayonnaise empire. I would read that story. Hit me up, Mike Magnola. Or you know what? You can just have that idea. Just feel free to use it. And uh, you can give me executive producer credit on the comic book. Comic books have executive producers, right? Yeah, well, tell you what, we've got a comic book we're about to get into right here. Let's take a look. Without any further ado, let's uh do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by John C. I am the very model of a comic book analysis with information that I impart with this here synopsis. Thanks, John. I was actually just listening to some Gilbert and Sullivan a little bit ago. You ever listen to The Gondoliers? It's, uh, it's a good one. Defenders, number 38, August 1976. Exile to Oblivion. Written by Steve Gerber, trotted by Sal Buscema, Inked by Klaus Janssen, lettered by Irv Watanabe, colored by Don Warfield, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Huh. No executive producer. Go figure. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, Nighthawk, The Red Guardian, and Luke Cage, Power Man. Previously in The Defenders. Billionaire do well bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, was kidnapped by a quartet of curiously craniumed costumed creeps named the Headmen. These strangely skulled supervillainous scientists scooped out Kyle's brain and dumped it in a punch bowl of chemicals, then proceeded to pop the brain of one of their own members, Chandru the Mystic, into Kyle's vacant body in hopes of infiltrating our titular non-team. Fortunately for the defenders, Chandu, a C-minus sorcerer at best, made for an unconvincing Kyle. Dr. Stephen Strange used his mystical might to KO the counterfeit Kyle, then transferred the mind of Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body is the host for the sorcerously created superheroine Valkyrie, into Chandu's brain, which was still in Kyle's body. Then he stuffed Chandu's mind into the body of a baby deer who had been Steve's houseguest. Determined to retrieve their non-teammates' misplaced medulla, the defenders, accompanied by a Kyle-bodied, Chandu-brained, jack-minded Nighthawk, headed to the headman's headquarters in suburban Connecticut. Our protagonists were eventually successful in their cerebrum-swiping sojourn, but not before being temporarily captured by their perplexingly painted opponents. During the brief incarceration, the headmen performed some sort of nebulous involuntary brain surgery on Val, Steve, and the Hulk. Then the nightmarishly noggin no-good Nicks released their crime-fighting captives. Hooray? 
During the confusion following the defender's discharge, Nighthawk, who the headman thought was Chandu but was actually Jack, sort of, managed to burgle the bull bearing Kyle's brain. Hooray! Unfortunately, on his way back to the Sanctum Sanctimonious, the turducken-headed hero was kidnapped by space aliens because of course he was! These particular extraterrestrials were led by the defender's old foe Nebulon, the celestial man from beyond the stars. When our heroes last encountered Nebulon, the interstellar geologist turned unscrupulous real estate mogul and hatched a scheme to melt the polar ice caps and flood the Earth in order to sell it to some aquatic extra-dimensional investors. A plan our heroes managed to thwart. The celestial flimflam man explained to his captive that since that time he had turned over a new leaf and was determined to make amends for his previous malicious malarkey and embark on a new mission to help uplift and educate the unenlightened denizens of Earth. Nebulon went on to say that the first step in fulfilling his celestial man's burden was to pose as a nebishy self-help guru and start a cult where he called his followers bozos and made them wear clown masks. Hooray! After a great deal of weirdness, the other defenders managed to rescue the Kyle-bodied chimeric crime fighter from his clown cult captors. Steve switched Jack's mind out of Chandu's brain and back into its original body, then called in some government favors to arrange for the world's preeminent brain surgeon, Dr. Tanya Belinsky, to visit from the USSR and help him repot Kyle's bull-bound brain into its original skull soil. After a successful surgery, Tanya startled Steve by revealing that in addition to her job as the world's foremost neurosurgeon, she also fought crime as the unsanctioned by the state swashbuckling Soviet superhero, the Red Guardian. Then some asshole named Plant Man, who dressed as a plant and controlled plants, showed up and kidnapped a convalescent Kyle from his hospital room. Concurrent to this Kyle napping, Hulk started feeling neglected and for roughly the 37th time in 38 issues, leapt off and quit the non-team. Bye the Hulk! Valkyrie went looking for her enraged Emerald Amigo, but instead ran afoul of Chandu the Mystic, who was unhappily sporting a new body that came equipped with chicken legs, bat wings, a unicorn horn, a snake tongue, and six lamprey eels instead of arms. Our sorcerously Scandinavian sword slinger succeeded in subduing the freakishly formed fuckwad, but during the course of the struggle she caused a not inconsiderable amount of damage to a fancy restaurant. For the unforgivable crime of inconveniencing wealthy lunchgoers, Val was arrested and thrown in jail. Meanwhile, Steve was under a lot of pressure at work and was suffering from some sort of sorceress performance anxiety. Without full control of his mystical mind, he and Tanya found themselves overmatched by their vegetation villain and his herbaceous hench plants. Fortunately, Jack Norris had placed a call to the one superhero listed in the yellow pages. Luke Cage, occasionally aka Power Man, showed up and punched Plant Man in the dick. Hooray! Our heroes deposited Kyle back in his hospital room and hired Luke Cage to be an on-call member of the non-team. After the rest of the gang departed, Kyle confided in Steve that having spent several months with his brain floating in a bowl full of chemicals may have had some side effects. The affluent avian aficionado was suffering from a metaphysical mental malady and was having difficulty determining the difference between subjective reality and objective reality and whether whether or not there was in fact a difference. Heavy, man! Steve responded unhelpfully by saying, I know, right? Reality is pretty weird. Anyway, have fun with that newly expanded consciousness of yours. I'm going to go get a snack. But on his way to the cafeteria, the Cavalier Conjurer was accosted by two supervillains named respectively, the Eel and the Porcupine. The costumed career criminals had recently joined Nebulon's clown cult. Their secretly celestial self-help guru had ordered them to use knockout gas to render Steve, Luke, and Tanya unconscious and deliver them to Nebulon. So that's just what they did. Oh, and also, every few issues, a Santa's village-style elf has been popping up out of nowhere and assassinating strangers with a revolver. Gadzooks! 
What will Kyle do to calm down from his mind-altering metaphysical crisis of expanded consciousness? How will Valkyrie react to her incarceration? And is there any fucking point to this elf with a gun and his murderous mischief? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so he literally opens a door into another plane of reality. She gently dumps a bowl of soup onto a mean lady's head. Hooray. And no, no there is not. Doctor Strange, the Red Guardian, and Power Man awaken to find themselves in a strangely colored, barren, and inhospitable environment. Nebulon's head appears in the sky above them and is all like, I hate you guys and you suck, so I've dumped you in this wasteland, so you'll be too busy trying to stay alive to interfere with my totally benevolent plan to uplift humanity with my creepy clown bullshit. Bye now! After the self-styled celestial savior of the Earth disappears, Steve attempts to teleport everyone back to his sanctum, but no dice. It turns out that in whatever dimension the Bowie-esque baddie dumped them, magic is super conductive to electricity, and when Steve tries to use his sorcery, they get all zapped with lightning. Bummer. Luke keeps insisting that the uninhabitable hellscape where they find themselves stranded really isn't any worse than his home on 42nd Street, because Luke Cage is fucking delightful and the Defenders are lucky to have him. At Steve's suggestion, the trio of stranded superheroes seek shelter in a nearby cave. Fortunately, Steve is able to use his powers to start a fire, because the electricity can't find them inside a cave. But unfortunately, he still can't use his magic to teleport them home because of, um, science. And magic. And reasons. Mostly that last one. Anyway, our heroes are gathered around the campfire, but before Steve gets the chance to hold the Eye of Agamotto under his chin like a flashlight and tell some spooky stories, they are attacked by a nine-foot extra-dimensional yeti ape bear. Typical. Back in New York, Kyle awakes in his hospital bed. It turns out that the porcupine and the eel also knocked out Jack Norris when they nabbed the rest of the defenders, but decided, not unreasonably, that Jack really wasn't a main cast member and probably wasn't worth their time. Fair enough. Jack informs the still-mind-blown Kyle Richmond that the person behind the abductions is most likely Nebulon and his creepy cadre of clown-masked cultists. Kyle takes the information in stride. He throws on a spare Nighthawk costume, straps on his jetpack, and heads to the Celestial Mind Control headquarters to bust up some bozos. Hooray! Hey, remember how I said Valkyrie was in prison? Well, she is. A mean lady tries to bully her and her cellmate, so Val sasses her and dumps some soup on her head. Only she dumps the soup real slowly and gently to make sure that it doesn't hurt the mean lady on account of the claws in Val's mystical power set that makes it so if Val ever hurts another lady then she gets super bad cramps and has to go lie down for a few hours. Despite not really being injured, the bully pretends she is all scalded and shit and has the guard throw Val in solitary confinement. What an asshole. Back in the confines of their cosmic cave, Steve, Tanya, and Luke are still battling the cave's original inhabitant. They aren't doing so great. The ape bear yeti is tossing them around like ragdolls that owe him money. Hey, yeti bear ape, why would you loan a ragdoll money? Ragdolls don't have jobs. How are they ever going to pay you back? Royalties from a terrible Aerosmith song? That's not how royalties work. Stupid bear ape yeti. 
Anyway, eventually Luke gets pissed off enough to rip a stalactite out of the cave ceiling and whoop the ape yeti bear in the tummy with it. That seems to do the trick. The hideous creature who may or may not make questionable financial decisions is out for the count. But no sooner is one danger dealt with than another rears its head. Or heads. Thousands of heads, in fact. Seems like somebody missed the memo that this was a campfire and not a picnic, because suddenly the Red Guardian looks down to find herself teeming with flesh-eating ants. Oh no, I thought Nighthawk was the one who was supposed to be having a psychedelic freakout. Well, good news, he still kinda is. But he's not letting that interfere with his rescue attempt. Good for him. Kyle busts into Nebulon's stronghold and starts beating up the collective of clown mask cultists he finds there. Hooray! After a few minutes of bozo bashing, Nebulon appears, this time in the human guise of the Nebishy self-help leader that I called Nebishulon because I am very funny and also can't remember the pseudonym he gave himself a few issues ago. Nebishulon approaches Kyle and tells him that if he's looking for his missing chums, he's totally happy to tell him where they are. Then he gestures towards a perfectly ordinary hallway door. When Kyle walks through the doorway, he finds himself transported into the same inhospitable dimension as his harried non-teammates. To say that the adult affluent avian aficionado is taken aback would be putting it a bit too mildly. Soaking his brain in a bowl full of unidentified chemicals for a few months had an effect on Kyle that could be likened to eating a hand grenade coated with LSD. It either expanded his mind or blew it to smithereens. He had been teetering between the two options ever since the completion of his surgery, but walking through a door in New York that leads into a cave in another dimension where Steve, Tanya, and Luke are frantically smashing at tiny ants seems to have tipped him towards the latter. Oddly enough, it seems that seeing Stephen Strange look crazed and flustered seemed to unnerve Kyle even more than his new locale. With great trepidation, the bewildered billionaire duel approaches his frenzied friend and is like, Steve? Steve? Please stop smashing bugs and tell me I'm not crazy, please. It takes Steve a moment to calm himself down. Once he does, he implores his trembling teammate to tell him how he got there. Kyle replies that he just walked through a door and there he was. At first, there is no visible door to confirm Kyle's contention, but Steve manages to use one of his lately inconsistent incantations and locate the invisible cosmic doorknob. After giving it a turn, the defenders find themselves tumbling into the hallway of the Celestial Mind Control Building, surrounded by the Bozo Brigade. Tanya notices that the flesh-eating ants which had recently ravaged her are suddenly dropping dead, apparently unable to survive in our Earth's environment. Dr. Belinsky decides to celebrate the good news in the most delightful way currently at her disposal, by punching the shit out of a bunch of belligerent bozos. Hooray! The other defenders think that beating up Bozo sounds pretty boffo, and soon everyone joins in. Porcupine and the Eel show up to aid their fellow devotees of Celestial Mind Control. I guess Nebashilan reckoned that the Eel and Porcupine looked stupid enough with their regular outfits, because unlike the rest of their cohort, they aren't dressed as clowns. Then the Donnybrook starts to really heat up when a new combatant enters the fray. A certain Yeti bear ape, who may or may not have less than fiscally responsible money-lending habits, bursts into the hallway and starts attacking heroes, villains, and misguided enlightenment-seeking clowns indiscriminately. Meanwhile, out in the Grand Canyon, a young couple of tour guides named Stu and Sally are taking a stroll through- Oh, shit. Young couple we've never seen before, and we're given their names and occupations. Well, I think we all see where this thing is going. 
Sure enough, they run into a stereotype of a wise old Indian chief, only it turns out that it's not really a stereotype of a wise old Indian chief. It's... <sighs> yep, Elf with a Gun, who pops up and shoots Stu and presumably Sally for no apparent reason. Boo! Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to a more sensible story. Where was I? Oh yes, our heroes were mixing it up with two animal-attributed assholes, a congregation of clown countenance cultists, and an enraged yeti bear ape from another dimension. Luke Cage and the Red Guardian beat up the eel, Nighthawk kicks the crap out of the porcupine, and Doctor Strange overcomes his on-again, off-again enchantment impotence and binds the yeti ape bear in the crimson bands of Ciderac. Hooray! Strange thinks to himself that his inability to reliably exercise his mystical expertise is super weird, almost as if there's something different about his brain that makes it harder for him to concentrate. Hmm. Then everybody pitches in and beats the shit out of some clowns. I've said this a lot so far, but you know what? Hooray! As they leave the CMC building, congratulating themselves on what good clown punchers they are, Kyle and Steve mention that they'll let the cops handle the cleanup of this mess, as they're sure it's nothing they can't handle. Um, look, Kyle is still tripping balls from the whole mind sitting in a bowl full of chemicals bookended by brain transplant surgeries thing, but really, Steve? Are we talking about the same Marvel Universe NYPD that is constantly shooting at the Hulk for no goddamn reason, through Val in prison for fighting an evil wizard, and tried to arrest a flying horse for loitering a few issues ago? Those cops? I give it even odds that they pin a medal on the Yeti ape bear and try to arrest the building. Hey guys, this is Hub again. You could probably tell from the voice. I just wanted to give you a heads up. The audio quality of the rest of the recording is pretty jacked. I'm going to do what I can to clean it up, but something happened in the recording process where it's kind of max headrooming me and Corey, where audio is dropping out for a couple of seconds or a fraction of a second, and then we'll loop different bits of our dialogue. Like I said, I'm going to do my best to try to clean it up. I considered just not publishing this and just putting out the synopsis, but I think there's some stuff that's worthwhile in there, and I also want to be respectful of the time that Corey spent. So yeah, if you want to stop listening now, I totally understand if that sort of thing is really going to bother you, but it is an issue that I'm aware of, and I'm doing my best to mitigate it, and I'm sorry you have to deal with it. Thank you. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? This first part's pretty garbled, but Corey is doing well, and we are drinking beverages called Burnt Trailers. It is so much less bad than I thought it would be. Yes, a Burnt Trailer is a traditional beverage of the vacation land state, Maine. Oh, yeah? Two parts Moxie, one part Allen's Coffee Brandy. We're using a different and therefore likely inferior brand of coffee brandy, as Allen's is difficult to get in Oregon. But yeah, I thought this drink would be much worse. Me too. It's yeah. not bad. Cheers. It is very sweet. A little bit too sweet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But not too bad. Not bad at all. Not too shabby there. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What'd you think of this issue? Yay. It was so damn silly. So what's going on with this, what I'm 
kind of delighted to see is a recurring theme of Strange's magical impotence <laughs> and his, his like struggle with it. I'm pretty sure it actually does put a little bow around it. We had talked before about the idea that it might be related to the invasive involuntary brain surgery he underwent at the hands of the headman. Ah, yes. And in this issue, it's almost as if there's something wrong with my brain. Yeah. That's and probably why Val's in jail. That's why he's having his performance problems. Uh-huh. Mm. That's why, well, I don't know if it's affecting the Hulk that much. I mean, maybe that's why the Hulk stormed off and quit the team, but that seems pretty in character for the Hulk. Yeah, he's just taking some Hulk time. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the cover of this issue, because it's a doozy. This is one of the iconic images that I remember of just the Defender's title. It's Nebulon the Celestial Man in his cosmic onesie. Got that school on a Sunday look. No pupils. Oh, I thought you were going to say no class, and I was like, oh, oh no. he's pretty classy. He's looking. got plenty of class, but yeah, no pupils. His hair is shining, and inside of the cosmic universal print that is his general onesie, we see Power Man and Doctor Strange and Nighthawk and the Red Guardian fighting Beast Boy. <laughs> that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah, that's Something. probably not what it is technically although you know it's a cosmic issue where they're in different dimensions maybe they got beamed to the dc universe but they are fighting a giant green gorilla which does not appear in the issue no i think that's supposed to be the yeti like creature that they do fight on the inside i think it's just a coloration issue where there was some kind of miscommunication but we were discussing that perhaps that is not a miscoloration and that maybe it's not even supposed to be a scene that's depicted inside of the comic book it is possible that Nebulon, the celestial man from beyond the stars, just has a new party shirt that mm -hmm. has a, just a fun print image on it of the Defenders fighting Beast Boy. Yeah, like I'm not much of a onesie or, you know, unitard type. Oh, but don't sell yourself short, Corey. I, I know you only got a couple, but... But if I, if I had like this, I would wear it all the time. Yeah. It is pretty bad. It is a pretty fun shirt. It's got that plunging V-neck that that you like so much in a onesie, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, just a fun like it. It has that kind of '90s like. Wait, why is there a button-down shirt with a picture of Spider-Man covering the whole front type right. look to it? Mm -hmm. But it's nice to know that that is a, a fashion choice that Nebulon makes. Yeah, yeah, goes good with the gloves and everything. Yeah. So let's just go through some of the arcs the Defenders go through. Let's just start talking about different characters, because uh, there's some interesting things happening with most of them, and then after that we'll get into some of the more details-oriented stuff, because there's some fun of that, too. Sure. Luke Cage. Luke Cage is great. He's wonderful. They find themselves in this horrible dimension where magic is super flammable. Dance everywhere. Yetis are trying to kill them. And his first thought is when Nebulod tells him, like, you'll be in the most punishing dimension of all. It's like, bullshit, nothing's worse than 42nd Street. Mm -hmm. Red Guardian's like, well, it's pretty bad here. There's a lot of shitty stuff happening. He's like, no, nothing's worse than Times Square in the 70s. And I love that. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the different kinds of threats that, that he's with the Defenders and whether he might want out of the contract that he has just agreed to. Mm -hmm. And he says he's used to dealing with murderers, hipsters, and hitmen. Yeah, what is he <laughs> I mean, It's interesting that he equates the three of them. Hipsters is spelled with a Y. Yeah, so I thought, like, hypesters? Like, people that, like... Like, like hype, just hype like, men? Like, yeah, the like guy Flava Flav? Yes. Or, like, Fonsworth Bentley or... Shit, he's not the guy from the St. Lunatics. Who's the guy from the St. Lunatics? 
doesn't matter. But like, yeah, like maybe he just hates hype men. Mm. And he's like, I'm tired of Flava Flav and to a lesser extent, Ben Carr from the Bostones coming down here and trying to wreck Times Square for the rest of us hardworking superheroes. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most likely explanation. It's also possible that he just is tired of people walking around in tight jeans drinking Pabst. <laughs> that, that could also be the case. I mean, I am. I see another trucker hat. Uh, I'm going to lose my... God damn it. I bet I'm tired of beating them up alongside all of the hitmen and... Murderers. And murderers. <laughs> <laughs> we got murderers. We got hipsters. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Murderers, hitmen, hipsters. That's the worst. Not the kind of bar you want to hang out in. No. No. I can deal with the murderers and the hitmen. But this is too far. Throw those guys in the mix. God damn it. That ironic mullet has got to go. Oh, there's so many of those around. Mm-hmm. Were you at that, at that when I got really drunk and told the guy, he said something kind of shitty to me and my response was, your head is a liar and your haircut is that lie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think I was there for that. How did that resolve? Oddly, it resolved with him saying, hub? <laughs> <laughs> and me saying, yeah, I'm sorry. And as I turned out that I knew him. <laughs> That's a very Portland story. Yeah, so Luke, Luke Cage is just so much fun. He grabs a stalactite off the ceiling and hits a Yeti in the tummy with it. And Doctor Strange congratulates him on A, the act of strength, and two, that he was able to do it without killing the Yeti. And his response is, yeah, I was trying to kill it. Mm -hmm. I mean, thanks. But... Yeah, he was tired after that, though. He tried real hard. Yeah, Luke Cage, A+. Plus. He has a fun line, too, about, like, going outside and being blinded by the sequins. Yeah. In fact, I was looking for a metaphor in there, but then I realized it was the 70s, and he probably literally meant sequins. It could have meant sequins, or it could have been the metaphor that he lives inside a movie theater. Uh, he, he lives upstairs from the Gem Theater, and so it could just could just be on hitting his eyes when he comes outside. And there was, there was a lot of ones, though, at that time. But there, but also a lot of sequins, especially in Times Square. Yeah, it was a shiny time. It was a, it was a very shiny time for downtown. <laughs> but, you know, he's also made the good point that you just got to get past that and yep, see get past the, the flash and see the hipster underneath and hit them in the tummy with a stalactite. <laughs> yeah, it's a complicated lesson. Moving on, you mentioned Steve briefly earlier. He's got a weird arc in this issue. You mentioned his magical impotence. He is once again suffering from that. I think likely due to the brain surgery, but he doesn't know that yet. Right. Seems like he could put two and two together at this point and figure that out. Like, something's wrong with my brain. Dudes with weird heads operated on my brain. Does he not know about the brain surgery? He may not know because they just got knocked out and woke up, right? They did, but I think Jack Norris would have mentioned it to them. He was there for the whole thing and knew what they were doing. Wait, wasn't his brain in a bowl at the time? No, no, no. Kyle's brain was in the bowl. Oh. Jack's mind was in Kyle's brain. Wait, Jack's mind was Andu's brain, which was in Kyle's body. That's right. Yeah, obviously. I lost that little detail. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it seems like Jack probably would have told them, hopefully, like... Um, so maybe he's just embarrassed and doesn't want to mention, like, I kind of didn't do anything while they cut your brains open and did stuff to them. I was talking to this bowling ball headed lady. Yeah, I mean, before you get all upset, let me explain. She was displaying a lot of cleavage. 
Yep. I, I think you're right. You're right. He, even <laughs> if he didn't know, he was just like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm just, just going to let this play out. This isn't going to make me sound particularly good. So, uh, anyway. Mm. I do love the effect of this is that Steve Strange really kind of starts to lose his shit when he when he's trying to cast a spell and he can't and yeah that, and kyle shows up and he's just wild-eyed oh my god my god interaction we will go into it in greater detail it is one of my favorite scenes that's happened in a defenders comic mm-hmm. yeah it really captures that like your buddy's like losing a shit and freaking out and you're like buddy heal yeah hey 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 man it's okay <laughs> just like what what but it's coming from both ends in it because mm-hmm. i yeah i oh but yeah, Steve is freaking out because he is so used to being in control. Sorcerer Supreme. Sorcerer Supreme. He definitely has control issues. And those are like, like come to the forefront. He's like, he brings up the fact that, well, I don't actually have powers. I just know some shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I just know techniques and can call on things. Like, anybody could do what I do. I don't have any, like, supernatural powers. I just have understanding of the supernatural universe and can use that to do things. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like the the clarification that his powers are basically education-based. Mm-hmm. But it really does drive home like how freaked out he is that the idea of not being in control of himself and seeing Steve lose it a little bit. It was very refreshing. Yeah, refreshing and jarring and just good storytelling. Mm-hmm. He's weird about a lot of shit, though. When Luke hits the Yeti, he's like, good job, you didn't kit. And Luke's like, I was trying to kill it. And he's like, you know, we're the invaders in this situation. He's not doing anything wrong. But then at the end, when he, like, has his breakthrough and, like, it's like, I'll have to concentrate super hard and think about baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but he ends up wrapping up the Yeti in the Crimson Bands of Ciderac or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And he just leaves it sitting there. It's like, you could just toss it through the door. I love, too, when they leave, they're just like, well, just call the, co- the cops, them clean this up. What are the cops going to do when they show up? They're well, like, okay, there's there's a yet some steel bands. Uh, do we shoot it? I mean, we are the cops in the Marvel Universe. That's kind of our first response to anything weird. Yeah, it didn't wreck a restaurant with a sword, so right. we can't so put we, it in jail. We can't arrest it. It's not green, so we can't just start shooting at it and crash a helicopter in it. Um... Um, They're not going to know what to do. No. Well, and I wouldn't know what to do either, especially you see what the fuck happened to that monkey at the end where it's like the very last panel of the comic book. The the monk's face just turns into a weird batch of cosmic hemorrhoids. That's Nebulon's work. Is it? Oh, it's got to be. Look at the way the hemorrhoids are drawn. They're pretty cosmic looking. They got a lot of Kirby crackle. I think Nebulon's doing something. Yeah, it's going to be a bummer for whatever cops show up, though. Can't be good. Yeah. Also, it is weird the extent to which the Defenders are just like, well, our work here is done. We beat up the two supervillains and a bunch of bozo the clowns. Like, Nebulon still is just bop bound in that house. He, sh- he shut them into an evil dimension. Do they, they know Nebulon is the bald man? Yeah, they fought him. Remember when he made Steve put on the bozo the clown mask? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Jack told Kyle about it, too. Yeah, bad job, guys. Yeah, just all around, just like, well, guess that wraps that up. They were probably pretty tired, though, because they had to get back from that other dimension and stuff. So, I mean, putting myself in their shoes, I could see after. <laughs> it was just time to clock out yeah, at that point. Like, mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll start trying to kill each other again in the morning. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense, then. Sure. That's still some weird shit happening to that monkey's face. Really does look like cosmic hemorrhoids. 
I love the way that the cave critter is drawn in several panels because he looks just really goofy, like his tongue's hanging out and his <laughs> eyes are maybe different sizes or bugged out. Yeah, just like menacingly goofy. Mm-hmm. Just like, blah, blah, like Tasmanian <laughs> devil style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Valkyrie. Still don't understand why she's just complicit with this locked up thing, but I love the way she deals with the bully. I love the way she dealt with everything. She seems like she is back to being Valkyrie. She is not taking shit from anybody. She is dealing with her situation in prison and trying to find out more about what the fuck is going on. But yeah, yeah, the way that she deals with the bully is wonderful. I love how it described like, gently, almost lovingly, she places the bowl of soup on the lady's head, Mm -hmm. being careful not to hurt her so that it doesn't give her the dry heaves. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so good. And just, yeah, the way that she deals with the whole thing is just like, back to her being matter of fact, no nonsense, not taking guff. Good problem solving too, right? Like, you know, you're gonna get the dry heaves if you beat somebody up. Yeah. So gently place a bowl of soup on their head. Mm-hmm. Enough. I find this crude tactic of intimidation both offensive and boring. I shall ask you politely, once and only once, to go away. Your assumption was correct. Your company is unwanted. That's fucking Val. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's great. And then she gently places a bowl of soup on the lady's head. And the lady's like, ah, oh, she attacked me. And Val gets put in solitary. Which... Kinda doesn't seem like she's gonna be that pissed about. Mm-hmm. Her mate is trying to talk with her, and Val is just kind of uninterested in that. And it's like, are you sure we're allowed to talk at lunch? Well, there are big signs on the wall that say silence. Yeah, I kind of want one of those signs. <laughs> Where would you put it? Just um, I think I would just maybe carry it around with me. Just and then, and then anybody starts talking to me, just like shrug helplessly and point at the sign. <laughs> I don't make the rules. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I think that would be pretty great. It would be pretty good. That would be a really good rule on the bus. People sure try and talk to you on that. They sure do. Friendliness. Interaction with other human beings. I'm going to need to drink more beverages from Maine just to wipe that idea out of my mouth. (laughs) Speaking of things being pretty heavy, man. Mm. Let's talk about Kyle. He does so much better. Nighthawk is fucking delightful in this issue. I love the action that he takes when, like, uh, Norris comes comes to the hotel, or not hotel, the hospital. Yeah. He's just, like, just like, hey, it's fucked up. And he, he just basically jumps up, throws on a suit that he had somewhere, somewhere and runs off. I, yeah, yeah. Norris is like, your brain. He's like, fuck that. I gotta go. Yeah. Man of action. Man of action, but also man of metaphysical malaise. Like, he is trying to figure out what is going on at every point. They are driving home the too much acid side effect that seems to happen from having your brain or brain bowl for too long. It's, it's heavy, heavy stuff. It is, it is heavy stuff. He is quest, constantly questioning the nature of reality. He is, it seems like, kind of worried about, like, ego loss issues. And on top of that, then you go to the Center for Celestial Mind Control and Dr. Bunsen Honeydew puts you in a room that takes you to another crazy dimension and you're already kind of tripping. Yeah, and he reacts. I love his reaction to it. Because, yeah, he grabs Steve and, like... He's like, I just need to touch somebody, man. I'm freaking out. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But when he gets there, Steve, Luke, and, and Anya are all freaking out and stomping on ants. 
that are crawling all over <laughs> Tanya. And, like, Luke Cage is just bashing ants on the ground, like, the Hulk style, like, with that, like, superhero ground pound mm-hmm. action that sends cops flying up into the air. Right. Doctor Strange is trying to magically blast ants off of Tanya with whatever meager mystical might he can summon. And Tanya is just freaking out. And Kyle has just gone through a door in a fucking brownstone into the other other dimension that is a cave and is just like, what the fuck? Is this real? I was just getting used to what the idea of reality is. So he wants to rescue Steve, but the way that he does that is to grab him by the shoulder and say, I need to know I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it's lettered in smaller letters than in a larger word balloon yeah and that's after yelling right like doc 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 it is also the only time in this issue and in most issues where we see lowercase letters Mm. and it really does drive home the quietness of that moment and the like trying to hold his shit togetherness of it Mm -hmm. and it's great and what makes it even better is steve's reaction because steve is having a fucking freak out both because of the ants and because of him not being in control of his power and his response is Kyle? Kyle? Kyle! (laughs) We see once again that Stephen Strange is the worst person to guide you through a bad trip. He is really the worst. They really need Macho Man Randy Savage. So bad. Doctor Strange is many things, but he is not funky like a monkey. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Saturn Jupiter. (laughs) Looking down, covering all bases. Well, in terms of Defenders to talk about, I think that just leaves us with the Red Guardian. What do you think are in this issue? Mm, she, she does. Okay. I would perhaps be a little bit more severe and say, boo! She does kind of okay. She has one scene in which she tackles the eel. She has one good punch, really. Yeah. But she's also weirdly dismissive, again, of Power Man's experiences. And kind of condescending towards him in a way that really bugged me. When they find themselves in the other weird dimension, and Luke Cage claims, yeah, it's pretty bad. 46 Street's worse. Nebulon goes on to basically just tell them that they're all fucked and they're never going to get home. She says, you concede then, Mr. Cage, that our locale may be more dangerous than your Times Square? And he says, only because I don't know the rules yet, sister. I love that. But then she says, then permit me to enlighten you, my mutant comrade. Our first concern must be shelter from the elements, a cave formation such as this one. Our primary enemy here is ignorance, and of course the forces of nature. Dude, that's what he just said! Exactly, yeah. Fucking listen! She also has a moment where, like, Luke Cage congratulates Nighthawk on doing a good, good job rescuing them. And her response is, it's, I, I think of it as like a shake and bake moment. It's like, Mom made shake and bake, and I helped. Luke Cage is like, Nighthawk, you did a great job. And she's like, and I helped. I did the brain surgery that put him back in his brain, so that means I did a good job, really. Anything that he did well, it's because I did a good, good job being a brain surgeon. Mm. Which, I mean, fair point, but come on, let Kyle have this one. Mm Mm-hmm. It was really nice to see him do okay. Yeah, it was really funny fun. And I wonder if maybe Gerber is going to use this whole cosmic identity crisis that Kyle has undergone from having been a brain in a bowl for too long to be a character rebuilding moment where he can have his version of Jack Norris's I just remembered, I've been an asshole this whole time and I'd like not to be anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping so. 
And it certainly seems that there are steps in the right direction. And even even if no resolution to it, to it, if we get more moments like Nighthawk being like, okay, I'm here to rescue you, but first, I need you to tell me that I'm okay and that this is really happening. If we get a few more moments like that, I am totally fine with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see that vulnerability. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I was kind of disappointed with Red Guardian. She had a really strong debut, and I liked her a lot at first, but I've liked her a little bit less with each subsequent issue. And a lot of that has to go with the way that they are playing against Luke Cage. Now let's talk about something that I liked very little about this issue. Oh, is it gonna be that little fucking guy? Yeah. What? I'm fucking over Elf with a gun. What is... Why is he even there? He always shows up, and I think his, I'm getting his MO is always, there's a couple. Yep. And he shoots the guy. Yeah. It's just, just an evil, evil lurk that hides in other things. Hides inside racist stereotypes. Right, right. Yeah, this particular elf with a gun interlude has a kind of Oliver Stone feel to it. <laughs> because there is an old Indian chief who is hanging out in the Grand Canyon. What? makes this interlude worse than the others i feel like is they're all pretty mean-spirited but in this none of none of characters are doing anything bad like they're most sympathetic couple that we've seen elf with a gun encounter i mean i guess the first couple wasn't really doing anything that bad other than playing some john denver covers the other couple were just like in a canoe no the canoe couple didn't get sh- shot by elf with a gun they got kidnapped by the space oh aliens. that's right yeah i thought they were gonna get killed by elf it with a gun because they like were a it, couple yeah doing an activity mm-hmm. tour <laughs> they guides. seem totally cool they're tour guides who are sick of tourists and right yeah and exploring the Grand canyon good for them with them they seem perfectly nice they seem perfectly reasonable and then elf with a gun pops out of a stereotype of a Native American, and instead of doing the usual Oliver Stone movie thing by offering the white protagonists wisdom and trippiness that they will need in their journey, turns out there's an elf with a gun hiding inside and he shoots them. The whole elf with a gun thing, when the first time it happened, it was so weird and it seemed novel and I didn't necessarily like it, but I, but I was curious and I wanted to know what was supposed to be happening and it was jar enough and just out of left field enough that... I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. What's going on here? Now it just seems mean. And it seems like maybe the only explanation I can think of that makes sense is that it's like the writer's personal vendetta. Like, it seems like, oh, these are some people that have pissed me off, so I'm going to make them get murdered in a comic book. Oh, like he had a bad grand grand Maybe he had a bad grand grand in time. Hmm. Or... Like, the other, the other one's just like, ah, I'm tum people playing John Denver covers. I'm going to have an elf with a gun kill them. Oh, tourists in Las Vegas are the worst. I'm going to have an elf with a gun kill them. I don't know. I don't like it. It's dumb. There's no reason. It's mean. It's mean-spirited and nonsensical. Yeah, I know there is an eventual wrap-up to the elf with a gun storyline, but it is not until we get past the Steve Gerber issue, so we never do find out what his intention was. Man. Yeah, frustrating. Damn it. I'm sorry. Oh, Corey, you're out of burnt trailers. You're out of beer. I guess you'll have to drink whiskey. Oh, man. Good luck. Thanks for taking a bullet for the team there, buddy. You're welcome. So there are a couple of fun little moments in this issue that don't necessarily fit into the minutia, but I do want to make sure they get brought up. Okay. One of them is 
I think this is probably coincidence, but when Doctor Strange first tries to use his magic in the other dimension, Luke Cage says something to the effect of, are you trying to outdo Ben Franklin? Mm -hmm. Something else is happening with Ben Franklin and in Doctor Strange in the Doctor Strange series that is coming up concurrent to this. And that is the fact that Doctor Strange's disciple and girlfriend, which is a creepy dual relationship to have, mm -hmm. is boning down with Ben Franklin. Oh, I remember talk of this. Yeah, they traveled back through time to A, celebrate the bicentennial, to try to figure out Doctor Strange Strange's like, existential problems instead of having because eternity unmade the earth and replaced every exact replicas but yeah there's this scene where dr strange is outside of this ship that is sailing to america protecting them from an evil wizard mm -hmm. and clea and ben franklin are below decks drinking breakfast whiskey and boning down mm. so i don't know if luke cage knows about this and is just throwing subtle digs uh. <laughs> dr strange it is in the in the issue i think comes out in the same month as this it might be the next one. I can't remember remember correctly if it's Doctor Strange 17 or 18, but but it's either August or September issue from 1976. So yeah, I'd... trying to out Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin. Yeah, and I think that might be part of the cause of why Steve's having trouble concentrating. <laughs> oh, yeah, entirely possible. Yeah, one of the other fun things that happens in this is when Nighthawk shows up, goes up at Celestial Mind Control Center and starts beating up the clowns. He says, my sources say you clowns put the snatch on some folks who are near and dear to my heart. And gang, that's a no-no. Mm -hmm. That is a reference to a probably apocryphal story that happens in the 60s with Bozo the Clown. What? Yes. There is a widely circulated rumor, but that there was an episode of Bozo the Clown that was recorded probably in Boston, although Bozo was a regional clown who got franchised out and different markets would have their own Bozo. Mm -hmm. There's one in Chicago, there's one in Boston. Uh, the one that is most closely associated with the story is in Boston, but stories change as you go around. A kid missed the uh, prize patrol or whatever game that he was playing, said a swear word. Mm -hmm. Bozo the clown responded, that's a Bozo no-no. And the kid responded, ram, ram, Ownie. Ah, yes. So, so, yeah, that apparently had a rumor that has been going around since the 60s. Nobody's sure, sure if it actually did happen. One of the people who played Bozo the Clown, I forget his name, but it sounds like Larry Hagman, mm. apparently confirmed that in the 90s that that did happen, but there are some holes in his story because he had denied it for like 30 years and then said, no, no, that did happen. Mm. But yeah, I, that's what that's a reference to when he beats up a Bozo the Clown and says that's a no-no. I'm pretty sure that's him relating that tale of that's a Bozo no-no. That is a good, good time-up. Yeah, yeah. One of the many things that I really enjoyed about this issue. I remember somebody telling me about that when I was a kid. Yeah. Ramat clowny thing. You hear about that. You hear about the, uh, that'd be the butt bob, the newlyweds game. Had you not heard that one? Uh... I, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but that <laughs> there was a couple on the newlywed game that was like, Ask the question, what's the strangest place uh... you've ever made whoopee? Right. And the answer was, that the butt, Bob. Yes, yes, I have heard of that. Yeah, yeah. But I think this story kind of belongs in that same nebulous space between realities, man. Mm -hmm. It may or may not be true. Oh, far out. But we really want it to be. Right. Yeah. Ram it, clowny. That's a bozo no-no, Corey. Sorry. You ready to move on to Minutia? Yes. Rick, 
Would you mind singing us in? Then we got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Indeed, thank you. So, Corey. Yes. What was your favorite sound effect? I feel like there was a panel and a sound effect that all had my favorite stuff in it in one place. Okay, what was it? It was on page 14, and it's the panel where Power Man hits the uh, cave yeti in the stomach with the... I can't remember if it was from the ceiling or the ground. Stalactite. Stalactite. It was from the ceiling. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's got my favorite... Some of my favorite words. got my favorite sound effect, and it's maybe my favorite panel, too. Because all right. it's all just at once, and it's pretty awesome. Okay, why don't don't you take the words that are in it? All right, so we have Power Man hitting the Yeti in the tummy with a giant cave club Mm -hmm. and saying, and when, and he's talking, referring to himself, and when this particular dude gets to feeling that nasty, ain't nothing but nothing stand stand his way. Fwomp! Got that? He's just really talking talking shit as Yeti while he's kicking it, kicking it. Mm -hmm. It's delightful. Yes, and the noise it makes is fwomp. Fwomp. I had Fwomp as one of my favorite sound effects, although I think for my absolute favorite, the other ones that are in the running are Grrrr, which is a noise the Space Yeti makes. That's all he says, actually. There is Thunt, ah, which is a well. bozo getting kicked in the tummy by a mm-hmm. I think my favorite is a smaller moment. It's, it's on seven. Gruel or stoop or stew, that is lukewarm, is being dumped into Val's bowl, and it makes the noise... Slurp. Yep, it looks very bad. Yeah, it looks bad. It sounds bad. And I applaud Val's choice of not eating it, especially once a cigarette has been put out in it, but rather gently, almost lovingly, placing it on a mean lady's head. Mm-hmm. Yep, the stew hat scene. Yeah. So I so I went, slurp, you went with fwomp. 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 Pretty good. Well, you segued that, that into your panel, you would say, probably, right? I think so. There were some awesome panels. I also had the stew hat scene. The stew hat scene is really nice. Uh, yeah, I called that a page 10 soup hat. Mm-hmm. I had such a hard time picking a favorite panel. And I liked the one that you chose on page 14. It did not enter into my favoritist mix. Mm. I think my favorite is, is the one we've already talked about, about where... Kyle is grabbing Kyle, Steve Kyle, Kyle. by the shoulder, and it's Kyle, Kyle, Kyle! Yeah, I had that. Um, but specifically for the Steve, I need you to tell me that I'm okay. And it re- it's such a small thing, but the use of lowercase letters in that word bubble makes it so clear what is happening and so dramatic, and it's so good. Other panels I really liked, there's a cosmic doorknob scene where it's Steve opening the door back into our universe after Nighthawk Hawk tells that it's there. It's just a hand turn, turning doorknob with all this weird, weird energy and crackles going on around it. I, I love that. I loved page 17. <laughs> it's just Doctor Strange and Luke Cage and Red Guardian just going ape shit on some ants. It's so good. They are all so freaked out, reacting so poorly and so stupidly. That I just loved it. But yeah, I have to go with the, I need to know I'm okay. Kyle? Kyle? Kyle! It <laughs> looks so crazy. It's wonderful. Uh, and that's my favorite panel. Sartorially speaking, 
What in- instances of fashion did you find worthy of note? I'm gonna have to go with the uh, Bozo Brocades Magenta Brocade. Like, the suits that these clowns are wearing are fucking crazy. I wouldn't characterize it as magenta. I think it's more pastel than I would t- typically put with that, but I do love the Bozo Brigade's magenta brocade. It's technically not a brocade either. But I don't care. It's a wonderful phrase. Why, thank you. The suits are so 70s. They are so 70s, and they are all bright pink, and it was another thing that made me question if that was a coloration issue, if they were supposed to be, because they're all dressed differently. Like, some of them are, them are wearing suits. Most of them are wearing, like, Wide lapel, almost trench coats, oats over like turtlenecks. Well, those are your choices in the 70s. Yeah, I know, but they weren't always color coordinated in the same manner if you had different outfits like that. And we hadn't previously seen any uniformity in the Bozo's outfits. The other things that made me question that it was a whether it was a coloring choice is there were some obvious coloring issues aside from the potentially miscolored Yeti. There's panel and all of the word balloons are different colors yeah steve is talking with a blue word bubble and then under it is a yellow word bubble and i can see if you were trying to make it oh they're in another dimension everything's weird but it's only in the one panel and it doesn't seem to be for any particular reason it's the days before texting so it's not a reference to right them texting each other exactly mm-hmm. it was the days before deadpool when you found out that self-aware characters would have yellow captioning ah. so i think it may have just been attributable to a new color but i also did really like that bozo clown look uh or the bozo brigade look mm-hmm. a happy accident yes and another one that i'm not sure if it was intentional or just like yeah fuck it i'm new at coloring i'm gonna have some fun with this not necessarily new at coloring but new at coloring the defenders jack norris's tribute to the hulk i liked a lot jack norris's tribute to the hulk jack norris is dressed in this issue wearing a purple shirt and green pants and it is a very distinctive look i was also glad that jack was given such a distinctive look because he is hanging out with Kyle, who is out of uniform, and two brown-haired gentlemen who are in their mid to late 20s in comic books are almost indistinguishable, mm-hmm. unless you put really clear fashion choices on them. And so I was glad that Jack Norris was like, okay, Jack Norris is the guy who misses his friend the Hulk, and so is dressed in green and purple. Hulk stomped off this issue. I miss him. I'll put on my green and purple clothes and just hug myself a little tighter tonight. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Is that Jack Norris's voice? It is when he's feeling down. Okay, sounds kind of like Kermit. Yeah, he's he has two modes. He's either kind of Kermity, Mm -hmm. I miss the Hulk, or he's give me back my wife. Speeds. Yep. Jerk. Kermit and Liam Neeson. (laughs) (laughs) I have a very specific set of no skills whatsoever. Corey, in this issue. As in every issue of The Defenders, at least one character has just got to be a sucker and act in a way that is counter to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthers the plot. This issue had to be a sucker. I think it will not come as much of a surprise, but for not creeping on any ladies, for not being a general (laughs) jerk, for doing a good job... And being a decisive person of action, I chose Nighthawk. Okay, I think that is a fair and good answer. I did not choose Nighthawk, but it is definitely out of character for him to be as rad as he is. I decided to go with the Red Guardian. We don't know a ton about her, but 
It's not entirely fair because maybe this is just who she is, but at least at first I liked her a lot and now she's being weird and condescending to Luke Cage. But more importantly than that, at being very, very instant in her attitude towards ants. Because she is super freaked out that ants are on her and are going to eat her and she has only seconds to live because she hates these ants. Mm -hmm. And she, along with everyone else, is freaking the fuck out at these ants. And then once they get back into the celestial mind control house and the ants start dying, she's like, oh, the poor deers can't make it. Oh, no. I read that she said that in like, sarcastically. a more sarcastic, condescending way. Ah, it's so tough to tell with the Russian accent. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. This is a complex accent. Texting Russian accents are the most difficult things to detect sarcasm in. Mm -hmm. So... Do you think that maybe Boris and Natasha really liked Squirrel and Moose? Well, shit, maybe they did. Maybe they did. Really tough to tell. Mm. Anyway, perhaps due to my inability to decipher Cyrillic sarcasm, I chose the Red Guardian. What was your pie not made out of steel? A metaphor that was used that you liked. Like you would like a pie that was not made out of steel. Yes, I liked a bit of exposition that we had. Um, it wasn't anything any of the characters said, but it was on page seven. And I believe it was referring to Valkyrie's incarceration. I had the same thing. It's wonderful. Yeah, it was It was really good. Uh, Gerber refers to... He's been talking about the Defenders being held captive by Nebulon the Celestial Man. But, you know, he also has more worldly concerns. And he says... It should be duly noted that Miss Norris's absence is hardly voluntary. No, Valkyrie too is presently a prisoner. A captive of that superpowered entity known as the state. Yes, she is being held captive by the early to mid-90s 12-member comedy troupe <laughs> <laughs> that was popular, had a popular show on MTV and went on to make Wet Hot American Summer and Reno 911. No, uh, yeah, I loved that. I loved referring to the government as a superpowered entity. Also, initially I was having trouble because I was just looking for a straight-up simile, which is there are usually a lot of. And in this one, the only actual simile that we get is Luke Cage saying that the eel is as slippery as an eel. <laughs> oh. Which, not nearly as good as that superpowered entity known as the state. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had the same pie not made out of steel that you did. Wonderful. It really is. Like a pie not made out of some steel. Delicious. Mm. Corey, who is the best defender and who is the worst offender? Let's start with worst. Okay. So, with worst, I had our Russian friend, the Red Guardian. She did a pretty good punch. Sure. She was kind of a jerk to Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. And um, this isn't really fair because like, if I was covered in ants and they were like, I would freak the fuck out when I was reading it. I was like, it's just ants. You're so powerful. <laughs> Come on. They're, they're magic extra dimensional ants. But yeah, I get it. I get it. And I was tempted to go with the Red Guardian. I decided to go with Steve. He did overcome his magical impotence, but he was just so flummoxed and frustrated by feeling not in control that overall he did a pretty bad job with a number of things and pushed it over the edge was just leaving the space yeti trussed up in the hallway nothing that the cops can't handle dude we have seen the way that the cops in the marvel universe deal with things that is absolutely something they could not handle that is the last thing they can handle 
And if nothing else, you are sending the police officers into the home of somebody that you know is super good at brainwashing and mind control. Come on, Steve. All the cops that go in there are going to be wearing those bozo masks. Oh, boy. Uh, maybe it is the red card. No, no, I'm sticking to my guns. Okay. Bad job, Steve. Do want to see those cops wearing bozo masks? <laughs> Although, the idea of being arrested by a cop wearing a bozo the clown mask saying, That's a bozo no-no. Oh. Terrifying. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. Conversely, mm. best defender? Yeah, um, same as my sucker for kind of the same reason. Yeah, Nighthawk's great. Yeah, he did a good job. He really actually saved the day with his, what do you call that? Is that a drop kick or a jump, like where you kick with both of your feet? Yeah, it's a drop kick, I think. Okay, he drop kicks the porcupine and the eel into the creepy dimension. Yeah, good job, man. Mm -hmm. They're going to hate it there. Nope, nobody likes it. No, especially like, I think the eel will be totally hosed. Like, All that electricity. he tries to use electricity. Oh, no. Electricity's even more, more bustable than magic there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that guy's hosed. Mm -hmm. And good, because I don't like him. I don't like the porcupine. They're inefficient, overly confident, and now smug in their alleged self-awareness jerks. Yeah, I got tired of that. I like that. Kyle got tired of that. I He has a great line. It's, I think, as he's delivering the dropkick. It might not be a dropkick because he might be flying while he does it. But uh, just don't expect me to, me to sit around and swoon while you flex your expanded consciousness. Damn. And then he kicks him in the tum-tum. Yeah, he says good words. He does good actions. Yep. Doesn't creep on anybody. And Red Guardian's standing there the whole time going, And I helped. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And I was helping. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, it's Nighthawk all the way down. Now, we all know that the Hulk rules, but in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, Hulk doesn't show up in this issue. That's true, but I still think he can learn something and we can glean what, what takeaway he would have had from these mm -hmm. events. Yep, and because he didn't show up, because he had had enough, it reminded me of something that uh, I think maybe my mom or my dad told me when I was little, which is that if you don't have anything to say, just don't say anything. <laughs> Probably didn't get that from your mom, because from Jim, he would have had a somewhat truncated version of that. That would be, just don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. But it's a good point, you know? Yeah. I think uh, William of Ockham's come up before, where, you know, it is vain to do with more, what one can do with less. Mm. So, either, you know, just keep it to the point, and if you don't have a point to make, just be quiet. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Just tap that sign. Yep. Silence. Point, point to it and shrug. <laughs> yep. That's the Hulk's rules. <laughs> the Hulk's rules is point to the sign and shrug. Good call. Thanks. I decided to go with what I think the Hulk's takeaway would have been when his buddy Luke Cage explained to him what happened in the weirdo dimension where they found themselves. Hmm. And how you deal with situations like that in general. Because Luke Cage says that the reason that this environment is more dangerous, potentially, than even Times Square is because he doesn't know the rules yet. Mm -hmm. And so the Hulk has a acronym that helps him through situations and helps him remember how to deal with them responsibly. And that acronym is SMASH. S-M-A-S-H. So... When you find yourself in a new situation, stop, meditate, <laughs> assess the situation, seek additional information, and then Hulk smash. <laughs> <laughs> so when you find yourself in any new situation, just think to, your, to yourself, okay, smash. Stop, mm -hmm. 
meditate, clear your mind, assess the situation, seek additional information, and then Hulk smash. Hulk smash. A lot of times Hulk just skips to the last stage, but it's an important mnemonic device. That is good. That is yeah. good. And that's the Hulk's rules. All right. Smash. And don't say anything. And point to the sign. Well, I believe that's all the uh, categories we have. Mm-hmm. I believe it is. Except. Did you have one of those situations where you just said the wrong thing? Oh, do you think maybe one of those situations happened? In the year of our Lord, 1976, and the month of our Lord, August. Well, not me, per se, saying the wrong thing. But, as he sometimes does, Steve Strange. Oh, yes. Gets a little carried away, a little confused. Gets a tiny bit of knowledge. Gets a little frustrated, traded magical impotence. All these things can happen. Gets a little, little frustrated by Leah boning down with Ben Franklin. That must have been very Drinking her breakfast whiskey below decks. Oi, oi, oi. But this is about Wong. Right, sorry. So, as we all know, Wong, man of many varied interests, among which science figures highly on his list of interesting things. Indeed. Branch of science, astronomy, also of great interest to Wong. He's a NASA buff, and... He's a NASA man? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I I can only assume he is. Mm. I can only assume <laughs> oh, he is. Oh, gotcha. Sorry. On August 7th of 1976, mm -hmm. NASA's Viking 2 satellite finally made it into Martian orbit, which led to, at that point, NASA coming back and announcing that they had... Today, the strongest evidence for life on Mars. Anyway, Wong was terribly excited about this and uh, was walking around reading the paper kind of out loud a little bit in an sure. excited way. And um, Steve got wind of this. But Steve's interpretation was, Vikings on Mars? I've got to tell Val immediately. <laughs> and so he went off and got her all excited and she came down, Wong, what's going on? And Wong had to sit them both down and tell them about the space program and et cetera, et cetera. Oh, geez. I wonder if... Maybe at some point during that encounter, Val tried to fly Aragorn to Mars, and Boris Vallejo saw that and sketched a picture of a pretty lady riding a Pegasus over the moon. And because of that, we have many book plates. Many, many book plates. <laughs> and yeah. calendars. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Wong. Uh-huh. And thanks, Steve. True. For yeah. having said the Wong thing, or heard things Wong. It wasn't the only time that month when Steve may have said the Wong thing. Yeah? Yeah. You see, sure, Wong is very interested in science, and of course in magic, but he also likes to take a little Wong time for meditation and to relax. One of the ways he likes to relax is by uh, playing a game of checkers. And man, he got really, really good at checkers. In fact, he entered the Worldwide Checkers Championship Tournament that year. Mm. And before he did, he talked to Doctor Strange and was like, Look, Steve, uh, I know that we've made a lot of enemies over the years. So would you mind casting a spell that would keep any harm from befalling the Checkers Tournament? And Steve was like, Yes, yes, I, I will do that. I'll have to word it very carefully. But uh, yes, that, that sounds reasonable. I wouldn't want Dormammu fucking up your Checkers game. So... Very well. Unfortunately, the way that Steve decided to word that was, Home shall not fall in this checkers tournament. 
Now, the problem with that particular wording was there was a fella in that checkers tournament named Harm Wiersma. Mmm. Oh, I see what happened. And because Steve phrased things that way, he was indefeatable in that checkers tournament, and he ended up winning and becoming the world checkers champion, despite the fact that Wong was actually a better checkers player. Oh, Steve. Uh, so because Steve said the Wong thing at the Wong time, Harm Wiersma became the world checkers champion. He went on to a career in Danish politics, and at one point there was the headline, Politician has a checkered past. <laughs> I think he only served for a little bit and then ended up stepping down as, as a Dutch MP. But, uh, yeah. Danish or Dutch? Mm, tough to tell. Okay. Nobody really knows the difference, Corey. Mm. <laughs> anyway, that's <laughs> That's what happened in August of 1976 when Stephen Strange said the wrong thing. We got checkers champs. Yep, and politicians with checkered pasts. From some country. From a country. In Europe. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners, on this burnt trailer-fueled episode Woo. that has gotten progressively sillier, as you may have noticed. This was a lot of fun. We will be back next week with the 100th episode of Tighten Up the Defense. Whew. We've had like 60-some-odd episodes of Teen Titan Wasteland. But uh, yeah, 100 episodes since we started covering the new Teen Titans and the Defenders. So, zoiks. Zoiks indeed, Corey. We have something special planned for you listeners. <laughs> we'll see how coherent it ends up being. We had a lot of different ideas of things that we could try to do for this. Different ways that we could try to cover either the Defenders or the new Teen Titans. But it didn't really seem right to focus on one over the other. So we decided to do something that literally no one has been clamoring for ever. We are going to cover Skate Man number one. <laughs> For no apparent reason other than the fact that we both want to. 1980. 1980's Skate Man by Neil Adams. If you have the opportunity, go find a copy of this book. It is fucking berserk. It is one of my favorite terrible comics ever. And I really hope you can join us for it next week. It should be a lot of fun. Ideals meal. Indeed. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you're using, hey, why not do that? That sounds nice of you. Thank you. If you would like to follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, you can do those things. On Twitter, we are at TTWasteland underscore. Guar liked one of my tweets last week. Sure, it was a tweet that I mentioned Guar in, but still, not too shabby. I choose to believe that they just think we're doing a great job. Tops. Yep. Yeah, so you can do those things. If you would like to support us monetarily and help us celebrate this milestone episode. I called it a milestone just then. That's not what it is. If you'd oh, like man. to help us celebrate this milestone episode that is upcoming, you can support us financially at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you will get access to hours of unique content that we have created just for you, including access to an ongoing monthly series that Lisa and I are doing about Howard the Duck called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. A show 
whose name has diminishing returns. <laughs> and just in general, thank you so much for being so supportive and so kind and for listening to the show. I can't believe we've been doing this essential thing for like 165 episodes and that we've been doing Tighten Up the Defense for 100 episodes. Well done, Corey. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, as Hub said. This is amazing. Yeah, it really is. And so, Corey, I need you to tell me that I'm okay. Hub, hub, hub! <laughs> <laughs> it's it's